Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you? Open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 13. And one of the great encouragements in tough times is the wonderful truth that Jesus is returning. To, as we learned recently, to love his appearing. And in Psalm 30 verse 5 it says, His anger, I'm reading from the New Living, His anger lasts only a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And there's a joy that's going to come. The pains, the problems, the trials, the troubles, they'll be gone. They won't last forever. And that's the word that Pastor Peter is sharing to this troubled, scattered flock, undergoing the greatest trial and about to endure the greatest trial that they've ever experienced. It it didn't just go from trial to resolution. As like many of you, it went from trial to trial or from small trial to big trial or from difficulty to greater difficulty. And so here's what he says. Pick up where we left off in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, and we learn, remember, this word, when it comes, it connects. So we need to ask, what is it therefore? And as we go back and look at the previous verses, we're reminded of the power of God We're reminded of the purifying work of God. We're reminded of the inexpressible joy. We're reminded of the prophets that were looking into things. They were looking forward to things that you and I are experiencing. And because of that, he says, therefore, because of that, here's your response. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up. We don't use that phrase very much today. Gird up the loins of your mind. But it's a phrase that would speak of getting rid of the things that can tangle you up and cause you to fall. That's what the idea of gird up. This would be a very familiar illustration to the first century believers because unlike you and me that wear pants and shorts, the apparel of the day were robes long flowing robes that instead of wearing pants and maybe even sweatpants or workout clothes, they would live in these robes in the hot, dusty, dry, arid desert. Having good airflow helped to keep men cool all throughout the day, especially in their work. But when they needed to run and when they needed to dig in to get to work, they would take their robes and they would bring them around and tuck them into their belts. They would literally gird up their robes and prepare them in such a way that would help them move better and faster and be more agile. In the New Living Translation, it translates this, not gird up the loins of your mind, but I like how they translate it, prepare your minds for action. And it's very important in trouble and trials and difficulty and warfare that you understand that the battle, the spiritual battle, is raging in your mind. Now, I'm not saying that it's not real. Don't misunderstand me. You know how sometimes like, oh, you're just making it up in your mind. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that it is a battle for what you believe. 
Because what you believe will dictate how you behave. Your beliefs and your behavior are very intertwined. And so Peter says, in the midst of tough times, get rid of the things in your minds, rid yourself in your mind that are making the situation worse. Can I just ask, is there anybody with a say of amen? Is there anybody in the house that have made things worse by their minds? Overthinking, extra fearful, anxiety-ridden, Oh, is there someone in the house that can take a little pebble and make it into a mountain? Few? It's a battle for the mind. What you're thinking. And the greatest thing you can do in the midst of trial and difficulty and trouble and overwhelming oppression is to get rid of the things in your mind that are going to make things worse. Paul would encourage us this way. He would say, your mind can interfere with who God would have you to be in this world. Your mind can interfere with, what, with who God would have you to be in this world. All your worries and fears and bitterness and anger, all are mind issues, which ultimately are heart issues, but they get weighed out in the mind. So what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4? For our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for what? Pulling down strongholds and listen, casting down arguments. Now, where do you argue? You argue in the mind. And the arguments go from your mind to your mouth and you're fighting head to head. It's all about the mind. So you want to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God because the battlefield is in the mind. Listen, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You need to memorize that. That's one of those verses need to be in your arsenal of your memory so the Holy Spirit can bring it back to you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. You want to hide this truth in your heart so that you wouldn't sin against it. So much of the battle that we're in is just dealing with lies and arguments and all these high things that want to get you to think of God differently or think of your spouse differently or think of a person differently or to think of a situation differently than what God has already declared even as today we were encouraged in our prayer time as a church to choose to trust in the sovereignty of God that all the things that have transpired in the last day or two or the last seven months have not given have not taken God by surprise He's not shocked by it all. We might be shocked by it all. We might be unsettled by it all. But what do we do with those feelings? We take them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Those thoughts of what's going to happen and how, how, what about here and what about there and what's God going to do and God has forgotten about me. No. No, we choose to trust in the sovereignty of God. Which reminds me that not only do we need to get our minds ready, but don't underestimate this little phrase, be sober. Do you see that in your verse 13? Circle it. You know what it means? Be sober. Be sober. That's another way to protect your mind so that you can be clear thinking. Don't be under the influence of something or someone that would cloud your thinking. Or another way of putting it, right now in the world in which we live, it's not party time. It's not party time. It's time to be ready 
and sober. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36 it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Soberness, sobriety. It's very important. Let me just say, it's, sobriety is very important that for those of you that have a past in addiction. The success of your spiritual life will be directly related to your sobriety, to you learning to lean into the Lord in tough times and temptation, and not to be overcome and to, to bring in substances that I know that you think are going to help you get through the moment, but they're only going to make things worse. Soberness. To experience life in its reality. Even if it does cause weakness and fear, it, those are opportunities to trust, not to drink. Fear, anxiety are opportunities to trust, not to light up a joint. Or as I have shared, as I've shared previously, marijuana being legalized, it's a gateway drug. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care all the, how they want to spin it. It's a gateway drug. So that now... In Oregon, they just passed a law and they just voted for making methamphetamine and cocaine legal. You see, we live in an upside down world. Who, who, what kind of, what, what, what is that law going to do? Who's it going to hurt? It's going to hurt the people that started in the gateway and opened up that door. And it probably didn't even start with marijuana. It probably started with alcohol. Alcohol opened the gate and it opened the gate and you just can't trust those in leadership to look out for you. You need to learn how to trust in the Lord. You need to learn how to cling to him. These times of overwhelming fear and anxiety and your just mind is racing are opportunities to learn how to trust in the Lord. Sobriety means just that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned until he competes according to the rules. Staying sober and committed. Being watchful. Upright. And again, the basic definition of sobriety is not intoxicated. So notice, he says, gird up. Get rid of. Take care of your mind. Be sober. And then look at thirdly. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I just sensed in the life of our church, those connected to us by technology on the radio, that you're going to hear this over and over. God has a word. He keeps repeating it over and over and over again for us. And that is, look up. Your redemption draws near. Jesus Christ promised to return, and his return can happen in any moment. And it is a key part of your spiritual growth it's a key part of your spiritual holiness to love his appearing. Rest your hope upon the grace that will be revealed. To know that Jesus is returning, his appearing. Listen, when Jesus Christ returns, his appearing will change everything. Everything will be changed. We cry out with that one-time word use. It's only used one time, but we cry out with that word maranatha, which means even so, come quickly. 
You think of all the things that you want changed in your life. You think of all the things that you want to see fulfilled. And his appearance will change it all. Until then, you rest your hope, not in man, but in the Lord, upon his grace. I wish we could do that. I wish we could do a better job of fixing and fastening our hope on his grace. Because a lot of us are discouraged And a lot of you are discouraged because you haven't fixed your hope on the coming of the Lord, but you fixed your hope on other things. You fixed your hope on other people. You fixed your hope on other situations and bank accounts. And even when you're let down and even when you're disappointed, someone lets you, you you go and you turn and you turn to someone else and you turn to something else. And the Lord's trying to teach you, you need to fix our hope upon the Lord and His grace. It's not wise to look to institutions. It's not wise to look to our marriages or our parents or our kids to fix our hope on those things because they can and they will let you down and disappoint. And so he says, fix your hope on the thing that will not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint, the Bible says. Fix your hope upon the grace that will be revealed The grace of God. Let me show you this. Turn over to Titus now. Titus chapter 2. This is so beautiful because even grace can be misunderstood sometimes uh, as some kind of absolute freedom to do whatever you want and just to live in rampant sin, you know, because like Paul said to the Romans, uh, should we continue in sin that grace would abound? And the answer is absolutely not. Certainly not. And notice grace teaches. Grace is a teacher. And as we place our hope upon grace, that grace will be revealed at the coming of the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says. Chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. Chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, so what does grace teach us? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, there's that word again, soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. And here's the position, the posture, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right now, grace is teaching us to live a holy life looking for the return of the Lord. And now Peter's saying, Peter's saying, look, it's not just grace now, it's grace then. And a fuller revelation of grace, grace in human form, like the fullness of grace in Jesus Christ will be revealed at his coming. And that's part of what's going to get you through the tough time. Just think about it in a very simple way. All of the input and all of the information, all of the discussions, if they're not pointing us to the grace of God and his soon appearing, they're making things worse and more challenging. Like you're, you're worried about something and you're anxious and you go to a friend and that friend doesn't point you to the Lord, he's going to make it worse. It's going to be harder. If she doesn't remind you what the word of God says when it comes to anxiety, even if it's a hard word, anxiety is among us. And there's a difficult word in the Bible for, for the anxious. I've memorized it. because I need the Holy Spirit to bring that back to me. 
of all the times that anxiety wants to grip my mind and worry and fear and all. The Bible says this. Here's a hard word. Be anxious for nothing. And then those that are anxious, well, you don't understand. That's, that's impossible. That's not very nice, Pastor. Why would you tell me not to be anxious? No, I'm just I'm knowing that the Holy Spirit can use that truth in your life. Be anxious for nothing. And instead of anxiety, do what? But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. So what is he basically saying? He's saying, take your anxiety to the Lord. Remember, he's in control of your life. Remember that those emotions that you're having are arguments against the knowledge of God. You're going to learn how to cast down those things by going to God first. That's really what you take the command and go, oh, I can't, I can't believe it. Be anxious for nothing. No, he's saying, look, when you're anxious, take it to the Lord. And when you go to him, talk to him about it. Peter would say it later as we'll see, casting all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And so come to him in prayer. Come to him in, in supplication. The idea of supplication is requests and help. And then come to him with thanksgiving. Because even wrapped up with all, that, all the anxiety and worry you're having, it's clouding you from the goodness of God. You're failing to see anything to be thankful for. He says, come to him, be thankful. In all things, by prayer and supplication, make your requests. So go ahead and give him the requests. Bring those requests to the Lord and the promise. So you got to get through the command, and then comes the promise. And what's the promise? The peace of God. Isn't that what you're looking for? In times of anxiety and worry, don't you wish? Don't you feel robbed of your peace? Are you troubled and confused? Isn't that what drives some of you to the bottle? You're troubled and confused. You go back to smoking pot. You go back to cocaine. You go back to methamphetamines. You go back to your pain medication you were prescribed. Why? Because you're so anxious and you're so confused and you're so overwhelmed that you're looking for a way out. But the Bible already says, don't do that. Stay sober. You're anxious today? Don't be anxious. What do you mean? Hey, take all your cares and concerns to God. Pray and talk to him. Ask him to remove the worry. Ask him to remind you of your faithfulness. Ask him to remind you of a place in the scriptures that you would see Man, that, you know, like Nehemiah chapter 4, what a great time for anxiety. But God sent them a leader to get their eyes back on the Lord. Don't be afraid. Let's get back to work. Yeah, but the enemies, the enemies, you'll see later, and you will read it later and uh, for homework tonight, perhaps, before you go to sleep, or maybe later this week, you can read it, and you can see that even within the people of God, the people of Judah, 10 times they kept, oh, you don't know, they're, they're, you don't understand, Nehemiah, they're going to come after us, they're going to, 10 times from your own people, no, you don't know how bad it is, how bad it, and 10 times you have to think, Nehemiah's going, calm down, man, calm down, let's pray, let's seek the Lord, get back to building, everything's going to be all right. And the peace of God, the Bible says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus like no other. Peter's writing to this struggling group of people and he's reminding don't put your hope in man. Don't put your hope that Nero is going to change his mind. Get your eyes on the Lord. You might experience the worst of the worst, but the worst of the worst is the best of the best as you'll be in the presence of Jesus. And what man can do to the body, he can't, man can't touch the soul. 
Peter's writing to this group who continues to live in the biggest trial of their lives. And when you're living in a big trial, you've begun to appreciate the coming of the Lord all the more. When you're faced with things are being just, you're being stripped of everything you've ever held on to. You begin to hope on the coming of the Lord. You begin to cry out for it. You might even begin to feel like Paul did. And by the way, that passage in Philippians is in Philippians chapter 3. And, and you might begin to feel like Paul earlier in Philippians where he says, you know, I have a desire to depart and be with the Lord. I just, this is where I'm at. I just want to be with the Lord. <laughs> this is it. I'm not so interested in this anymore and that anymore. When you're in a big trial, everything starts to become zeroed in. Like you begin to be laser focused on the Lord in your life or you begin to be laser focused on yourself. I see this so often in marriages where there's a difficulty in marriage and each or maybe one or the other of the spouse just thinks they're absolutely right and the laser focus is to fix the other person because if the other person is fixed, then the marriage is fixed. But you know as well as I do if you've sat down with me that if you're in my office and I sense that, I'm going to find a piece of paper and I'm going to draw a triangle on it for you. And I'm going to give you an illustration. You're going to walk out of my office with it to say, look, the issue is you look at that triangle. At the top of the triangle is Jesus and at the bottom of each side is each spouse. And the way they walk into the office is back on the bottom line there at the bottom of the triangle. It's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what you got me, that's what got you in my office. If you ever want to get out of that, one of you or two of you need to seek the Lord. Preferably both of you, but one is, one is enough for the Holy Spirit to begin to work in that home. But as you have a picture in your mind of the triangle going up, as each of you are seeking the Lord, not only are you getting closer to Jesus, but notice it gets smaller toward the top and you're getting closer to each other. How? By dying to yourself, leaving the arguments behind, and seeking the Lord. And that is the answer. Not only in relationships, not only in marriages, but in trial and difficulty and challenges. To not live in our own self-righteousness, but to be broken and humble before the Lord. Not to be intoxicated, not to be encumbered, but to fix our eyes on the hope that's to come to us. Resting all the more on the promises of God. You see our nation. You see our city, our state. You see the condition of how people live and express themselves the twisted perversity of man, the horrible tragedies of sin all around us. Many of us live, we were a part of the problem before we were born again. It's not a statement to point the finger. It's a statement to understand the need of the church in a community. Not a physical location, but the church. Men and women that love Jesus Christ and love their neighbors themselves, the church. Yeah, you see the condition of the way things are going. You compare that to the word of God and you just shake your head. But here's your answer. Gird up the loins of your mind. Stay sober and rest your hope fully upon the... That will move you to action in community. It won't move you to isolation. It'll move you to action. And that hope doesn't remove us from the world, even though at times we want that. You might even express that. 
It's like, I'm just, I need out. I want out. And many people are moving to other states because they're more conservative. People are there. Don't worry about it. Sin is going to show you. Sin's going to show up whatever state you move to. And if the Lord's moving you a part of the church, then you're there as the church in that state. But don't think for a moment, unless there's a national revival, that they're going to be different people in the next state, the next city, or wherever you might be. Because the issue in life today in our culture is a sin issue. And the only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. You could say the same thing in your family and you, maybe you're here today, you're watching, listening to me from a distance and that, that the issue of all you've, doctors that have tried to diagnose it and all the, the people that have come into your life, now I'll tell you right now, the issue in your life is a sin issue. That's it. And if you will come to God humbly, repent of your sins, he will fix the sin issue in your life. He will change you from the inside out. All the things that you're trying to do under the weight of, of the trouble, you can't run away from trouble. Trouble has a way of following you wherever you go. Because we're in this world, we're not of it. Notice verse 14. Again, he continues. These are, this is advice in the midst of difficult times. This is the way to stand strong. As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So here, this is how you're to live, church, as obedient kids. Every parent would understand this phrase and what they're looking for in their children. Obedience. Not lip, not backtalk, not disobedience, not dishonesty, not shortcuts. But as we're raising our kids, we just want them to trust us. Just trust me. You're not going to, even if I explain to you why I'm asking you, you wouldn't want to do it still. Just trust me. And how often have you felt that way with God, the Father? That he doesn't explain to you why he tells you, just trust me. Like, for example, some of you were rubbed the wrong way with this exhortation the Bible has to be sober. And you go, why should I be sober? I have freedom. I can just trust God. Would you just trust him at his word? Trust him, it's better. Especially you younger people that have never moved in that direction, never followed that temptation. You're going to get it at school. You're going to get tempted. Somebody's going to offer you something. I remember a time I was just out of seventh grade, sixth grade to seventh grade when I was offered alcohol for the first time. Just say no. Trust me. Well, explain it to me, Ed. I'm not. My whole rotten, wicked, sinful life before I was saved is an explanation. Just stay away from it. Well, maybe I won't stay with you. You don't explain. Don't. Just trust me. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty. And then, not just you, but everyone that loves you and cares for you, just stay sober. You know, that's the admonition to you children still and you young people still living under your parents' roof. Just trust them. They don't need to explain everything to you. Just trust them. Because one day, Lord willing, you have your own kids. And you'll be sitting there going, I'm not, t- I'm not explaining, just do it. I don't have time to explain it for you. I don't have time to lay it all out for you. Even though there is a relationship, right? So there's enough in your parents' life that you can trust them. And there's enough in our father's life that we can trust him. Apart from God, notice, people are living a lustful life, it says in verse 14. 
many of them in ignorance. A person who lives apart from Jesus has no idea what kind of life they could have. They're blinded spiritually. There's a whole beautiful world that you don't have any idea about until you come to know Jesus Christ personally, until you're born again. You never really understand 1 John 3, verse 1, oh, behold, what manner of love the Father has. You just don't understand it until you come to Him, until you experience it. But the life that we're to live in this world is obedient, children, not rebellious children. Not always trying to get our own way. Not always going against the grain. Now, of course, with the culture, there are decisions we have to make that are always going to go against the grain. But as obedient children to the Father. Obedient children. So he says, now that you know about the love of God, don't live as if you don't, live as if you don't know the love of the God. Don't live as if you don't. It's a forward walk, not a backward retreat. This is the love of Jesus Christ worked out and walked out among us as believers. That we wouldn't be filled with fighting and frustration and backbiting and gossip and all that junk. It's just not from the Lord. We live as obedient children. We're not going to live the way, we're not going to conform, like be shaped the way what we were delivered out of. I know for a fact no doubt about it. If this weekend service is Saturday night, that I came here and I was dropped down drunk. Me, Pastor Ed. I know that if I arrived here at church dropped down drunk, the room would be very disappointed in me and very concerned. I would lose credibility and respect, if not some of it, all of it. Oh, not only would I show up drop dead drunk, but I drove here. And I came up to the pulpit kind of, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, how'd you get here? And, oh, I drove here. No, I almost hit this bird. And I know each layer, that, that would be, that was the old Ed. That was the old Ed. That's how I lived my life. So much so that on some of those episodes, I was taken off the street for the safety of others by a faithful police officer or two in the communities I grew up in. You see, there is a life apart from Christ and there's a life in Christ. And the two are very different. And don't think for a moment that it's only Ed. If I showed up and my old Ed and my old life and, and I start to describe all kinds of sinful behavior, but oh, hey, go, to, you know, after that, uh, pick up your Bibles and, and open them. I don't even know how long it would take before half the room leaves and the other half, room, the other half of the room comes to help and is so concerned and many no longer trusting in God because I conform myself to my old life. And I went backwards. So let me ask you, why would you expect that of your pastor but not live that way yourself? Why would it be such a shock to you if I came up and then you'd find another church and you'd vote me out and you'd fire me and try to get me help and you'd never follow me again and have no credibility. I'm not saying you wouldn't love me and have grace toward me, but it's like, no, that guy's not, I'm not following him anymore. Well, why, why, is it, why, is it such a, why is it such a scandal to you that for me to show up like that, but for you, it's not that big a deal? Now, of course, I have a stricter judgment. I have more responsibility. Set that aside. Let's just do it as believers here. 
Why conforming to your old lusts and your own sinful lifestyle? Why, why, why is that okay in not living an obedient life and instead you live in a disobedient life? Why would that be okay for you? But it's not okay for me. And the truth is, of course, it's not okay for us. It doesn't matter what role you have in the church. Peter says in the midst of trial and trouble where the temptation to go backwards is higher, we need to press in harder. When the temptation to go backwards is higher, we need to learn to press in harder to the things of God. And then he lays it out. Well, I don't even know what that means. That just sounds like Bible talk. Okay, make sure that your mind's protected. Be a man or woman. Read your Bible every day. And then be sober, self-explanatory. And then rest your hope, not on man, institutions, paychecks, things, on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he's coming back, trust him. Verse 14, obey. Obey like a child, trusting your dad, your mom. Don't go backwards to your former sins. That's not your, that's not your life anymore. Instead now, verse 15, be holy <laughs> as your Father in heaven is holy. Be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in all that you do. Which at this point, most people just kind of check out. and go, Holy? Holy cow, I can't be holy. Holy? And even some people, you know, they'll look at a church and they'll accuse you of being a holy roller, whatever that is. And they'll accuse you of being holier than thou, whatever definition they mean. But holy is a very simple word. Do you know what made something holy in the Old Testament? Do you know what makes something holy even in this building here? In the Old Testament, something that was made holy or something that some ordinary vessel, bowl or a cup or a spoon or a laver, something that was ordinary was made holy by the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice. Holy simply means set apart. I'm certain that in your kitchen, you have certain instruments, you have certain bowls and cups and pitchers that although you don't use this language, you say that they're holy. They're holy. They're set apart for a specific purpose. They're not your everyday use. You know, we have everyday use dishes that are in, but there are also dishes that are set apart that we don't use every day, that we only use on holidays. They're special. You could say that they're holy. They're set apart for a specific use. And in the Old Testament, something that was normal and common was set apart by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We learn, we're going to learn this in Hebrews chapter 12 as we study on in verse 22 through 24. There's a sprinkling of blood, making things better of Abel. And so don't think of it, I can never be holy. I don't want to be holy. I'll never be perfect. No, he's saying you need to be holy and set apart in all your conduct. You've got to think about God when you make a decision. Think about God when you open your mouth. Think about God when you go to work. You think about God when you're driving. You think about God when you're speaking. And all your conduct, you do as unto the Lord. And how do you set apart? You remember that you've been set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're different. You've been born again. At least you say you have. That you've repented of your sins. You were ordinary until you were set aside and set apart by the Lamb of God. Jesus set us apart, and your behavior is to be set apart.
to be reflective of him. Again, using your house as an example, if I came to your house, I would follow your rules. I hope. I'd respect you. If there's something that I do in my home that's uncomfortable with you doing in your home and you ask me not to, if I have a good relationship with you, I won't. Like, I wouldn't just walk into your house, go right to your refrigerator, take your gallon of milk out, and drink it from the, from the gallon. I'm not allowed to do that at our house either, but I certainly wouldn't be able to do it in your house. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to adapt myself to your house. I'm going to be thinking of you more than I think of myself. Matter of fact, I would not just walk in, depending on our relationship, I wouldn't just walk up to your refrigerator. I would ask you permission. Or perhaps I'd ask you if I could have something to drink. And then you would say, well, let me serve you. And I would, I would say, okay, that's fine. I don't need to go into your, to your refrigerator or your kitchen. I'll go where you invite me. Because I'm going to be set apart in your home. And I'm going to live according to your rules. And I'm going to honor you. Why? Because I love you. Not because I have to. But because I love you. I have some sort of relationship with you. I mean, we have these, we have this, these in our minds where in, even among one another, it's like kind of like backwards. We'll love one another more than we'll love God. But that's not the order. The order is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then we love our neighbors ourselves. And we remember now as being born again men and women, we are set apart in God's house. And it's for his purposes that we live. And so you can be holy in all your conduct. Your life can please God. You can make wise choices. You can be obedient like a child or like a young... You, you can be obedient to whoever's in authority over your life. You can be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you must be. Listen, this is where we close. You can be, but you must be when times get tough. You think times are hard now. Try to approach difficult times disobediently under the influence of some substance unholy, unrighteous, not caring a thing about Jesus Christ or his soon return, not placing your hope in anything that, that is not living a separated life. You think the trial is hard now. Go ahead and go into the headwind of the trial, a rebellious, backslidden believer. It's going to be harder because pride will only make things harder. It's much better to humble yourselves. And so we've done this in great depth, but for the sake of you guys taking notes, I want to give you eight questions to ask when you're making a decision. We've used this in light of the freedom that God gives us. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So we have these eight questions that we can ask and we can just think about and kind of put around. It's like, man, will this be helpful for me? Will this edify me? But we can also ask these questions when it comes to the topic of holiness. What does holiness look like? Well, you can just filter it through these questions. Number one is what I'm about to do, will it honor God? Because if it doesn't honor God, it's not a holy decision. Number two, will this help set me apart for God's use? 
Like, will it, will it set me apart? Will it make me more like him? Because if it won't, I have no business with it. It's not holy. Number three, will it help me become more useful? Will this decision I'm about to make, oh, it's all, everything's lawful, Ed. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, but will it make you more useful for the kingdom of God? Because if it won't, then it's not a holy decision. Number four, will it prepare me for every good work? Will this prepare me for every good work? Because if it won't, and it's lack of preparation or it pulls me, then it's not a holy decision. Will it build me up? Number five, will it build me up spiritually? Think about that. There's a lot of things that aren't necessarily in the Bible that say they're a sin, but they're not a good decision. And I always laugh, you know, that I I try to bring out a, a sense of, especially when marijuana was made legal in our own state, and people go, oh, I don't know, you know, the Bible says that God's given us every herb of the field. You always have somebody calling the show or coming after a service. God has given us every herb of the field, so that, then smoking pot and getting high can't be a sin because God gave it to us. You know, come on, man. If that was true, then you'd already be smoking the grass in your front yard. I don't see you doing that. God gave you that. Smoke it. Light it up. I mean, if it was everything's been given to you, then take, take poison ivy and rub it all over your body. Because God gave it to you. And it doesn't make any sense. Because the Bible is very clear. Be sober. Be sober. If it, is it going to help me? Is it going to build me up spiritually? Number six. This is a big one. Can it bring you under its power? You know, what you're about to do, does it, does it have the possibility of bringing you under its power? Because if it does, it's not holy. Be careful. How about number seven? Does it give you an uneasy conscience? You want more how to live a holy life? Just ask the question, is my conscience troubled by this? And maybe not even your conscience. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit saying, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't say that. How many times have we gone against our conscience by saying something stupid to someone? (laughs) He's like, no, don't, don't. Don't say it. Everything inside of you is saying, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And you say it. And then everything turns black and white slow motion as the words are coming out of your mouth and the countenance of the person is changing and you're already regretting what you're saying before it even fully comes out of your mouth. An uneasy con Don't ignore your conscience and don't ignore the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in a holy decision or how to use your liberty, could it cause someone else to stumble? Could it cause? Because the Bible says, be holy in all your conduct. Because it's written, be holy as I'm holy. And the power of holiness is not, even, not just in our decisions. The power of holiness resides in us as we abide in Christ. These questions, whether you write them down or not, they'll give you a kind of a practical guide. But even when you don't have the practical guide, as you abide in Christ, he takes this filter through everything in your life. And he'll say yay or nay to the decisions you make. And so, Father, we're asking you that you would make this truth come alive for us because, you know, difficult times make us respond in a lot of different ways. You know, I just ask for forgiveness for the times that I've freaked out or I've feared or I've been overwhelmingly anxious. And, you know, I think I've dealt with those things with you um, sometimes on a daily basis, but I just know it's a common condition for us to place our hope in temporary instead of the eternal so forgive us God and help us to trust you 
even in the most difficult of times, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up together. Don't forget, as we're studying Peter, you ladies in the women's study studying Peter, don't forget the backdrop. A lot of difficulties. Nero's about ready to cut heads off and, and destroy single-handedly Christianity. And they're having to decide, how do I live under this pressure? How do I live under this difficulty? And while their situation's different than our situations, we also have a lot in common. How do I live with this pain? And how do I live with this grief? And how do I live with this boss? And how do I live with this marriage? And how do I live with this government? How do I live in difficult, pressure-packed times? And this is what Peter's saying. The times of high, high temptation require a pressing in like never before. So today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the pastors will be up here after the service to pray with you and encourage you. Um, even if you need prayer, just come up and talk to one of the guys. Let them encourage you in the Lord. Let them strengthen you. Uh, if you don't need that, that's great. You have the freedom to fellowship after if you'd like uh, until the cleaning machines come out. We ask you to do that. Keep your mask on, please, uh, just to respect the person you're connecting with. And uh, just keep praying. Um, whatever you, whatever, again, whatever the view you have on COVID, um, it's, re it's more real than you realize. Don't get caught up in all the hype of a people's opinions. People are getting sick. They're getting complications from this dumb virus. And some are not coming out of the hospital church. I don't know how many it needs to be. I know there's political ramifications and all that. And I, I just wasn't born to be in that. I was born to be with the gospel and encourage people to keep their eyes on the Lord. It's real. And whatever part of it's real, people are afraid. You might say, well, you know, somebody made them be afraid. Yeah, whatever, they're still afraid. And they need encouragement and help, not prejudgment. You're right, we, before I was saved, I, bring, I, be I believed a lot of stuff. But what I needed was to be born again. I needed to be encouraged. And the church, I was thinking this, you know, I was just thinking this. If the world was rid of politicians today, government would still continue. But when the church leaves, who's going to take the church's place? Who is there to replace you and me? Maybe God is taking us from that stage in our personal walk where we're so excited, we're saved, we're forgiven, we're born again, we love our families, we want to raise them in the ways of the Lord, but maybe God's taking this time and just shifting our thinking a little bit so that now it's not just, I'm glad I'm saved, but how can you use me, God? How can you use me in my gifts and talents? Some of you, you're called to be a pastor behind a pulpit. Some of you are called to be a pastor in your community. Some of you are just called to bake a pie, man. Just bake your pies and give them away in Jesus' name. Whatever it is you're called to do, do it as unto the Lord. Set yourself apart. You know, you might be baking a pie for yourself and the Lord just says, you know, because we're talking about Thanksgiving coming up, bake a pie instead of bringing it here, give it to a neighbor, give them a track, give them a little note, tell them how much you appreciate, whatever, however you do it. Instead of bringing it here, we're not going to enjoy pie this year. Uh, here, we're going to enjoy pie as we give it away. And I hope you participate. First, I hope you show up for our banner service. It's going to be great. We're not canceling it. And then instead of eating pie together, we're just going to give it away in Jesus' name. And I hope you do it. 
I hope you do it. I think of the basket of candy that Marie put together for Halloween with the tracks in it, just praying for every one of those bags because they're gone. They were gone. By the time I got home from service, they were gone. And they're out there. Candy's gone, but the track's still there, I hope. Ministering to the mom or the dad, maybe even the kiddo. But maybe the Lord is just reminding you that the world needs the church. And there is coming a day when the church will be removed. And God has a time of ministry in those last seven years. But just think about it. You are the light and the salt of this earth. You are. And if perhaps you've been distracted and if perhaps you've wandered away a little bit, just come on back. Without regret, without condemnation, just come on back and get, make the main thing the main thing. And I'll give you the answer to this. What is the main thing? The main thing is the gospel. The main thing, the main thing. So let's sing this song unto him if you need prayer. Maybe you need to confess that. Just come up and confess it to someone. Let me read real quick. I know kids aren't downstairs, are they? So let me wait. Let me just read this real quick. Maybe you don't understand this verse, uh, but the Lord just put it on my heart. He said, um, confess, this is James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Maybe the healing you need today is in your mind. And you can confess to one another. They don't have the power to forgive you. Like, it's not like going to a priest. But there's just something about telling somebody, you know what? Will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? And you don't need the pastors to do it. You can just turn to the person next to you in that time of fellowship and go, man, first of all, say, are you a believer? And they say, yes. So will you pray for me? Well, what, what do you want me to pray? I don't know what to say. Well, just to tell you, I've been X, Y, Z, and just ask God, to for, just ask God, just pray whatever's on your mind. Don't make it a big deal. And if they say they're not a believer, so well, let's go sit down and let's talk about the things of God. So let's sing this unto him. May the Lord bless you this week and encourage you and use you in these last days. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.